Good morning. Scripture this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass wither and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for today, Lord. Thank you that we can all uh, come here and gather and worship you and learn about you, Lord. Uh, Lord, I just thank you that we're back in the auditorium this week, Lord. Thank you for the new floor here. Um, Lord, I pray as Tim comes up to preach, just that you would um, prepare our hearts, Lord, that it would be open to hear um, what you have to teach us this morning. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and so excited to see you here this morning. If you are new, welcome for the first time. We're glad you're here. If you're not new, welcome back. Uh, Last week, if you missed it, uh, we continued in this series in the book of 1 Peter called Living Hope, and we did so not in here but in the gym, so just right off the way uh, across this campus. And it was amazing to see just how many people stepped up to serve and help out in tons of ways to really set up everything we're doing in here in a a school gym, and it ended up being a lot of fun. It was a great service. I don't want to do that every Sunday, but it was awesome to do it that Sunday, and we talk a lot about uh, being a church family. That's one of our pieces of culture that we're intentional about building, and Sunday, last Sunday, was a great example of that. Uh, You just saw tons of people coming together as a family to worship Jesus together in a different environment with different setup, with different teardown and all those things, and it was a beautiful thing to experience. And so if you uh, don't serve, I would come up to somebody after the service and just thank them for serving and then ask them how you can join them. Ask them where you can sign up to do that. We want to participate in this thing together. We believe it's beautiful when the local church comes together to worship Jesus and to serve Together, We're going to do that again today as we continue in the series called Living Hope in 1 Peter. We are in the latter part of chapter 1, going into the first part of chapter 2 that Corey just read. And here's the big idea. And so if you're taking notes, this is what you want to write down. This is where we're going. Big idea for this morning. For the Christian, obedience is marked by sincere love, abiding truth, and active growth. That for the Christian, obedience is marked by sincere love, abiding truth, and active growth. So we're going to really just break that down the rest of our time together from this text. And so take a look with me first at verse 22. Verse 22. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. That these people that Peter is writing to, they're elect exiles. That means they know God. They're elect. They know The Father, they have believed in Jesus, the Son. They're they're walking by the Spirit. They know God. And what Peter is saying is you've begun to 
obey this truth. You begun to live this out. And so we talked about it last week. If you missed it, you can catch it online or listen to the podcast. But we talked about a holiness that we are to live in and walk in as believers in Jesus. We talked about this obedience that we walk in. We leave behind the former ignorance. And we begin to walk in our new identity in Christ. So Peter has just started talking about that. And he's going to tell us the results of that holiness. And the result of our holiness is love. That after we begin to walk in obedience, we begin to see love. And it's interesting, this is the very first application of holiness in this letter. He's just been talking about it. The first application of what it means to be holy is to love. Do you see the correlation? That holiness leads to love. And I think if we're honest, I don't know your experience in church or Christianity, but that's usually not what we think of when we think of holiness, is it? I mean, a lot of us tend to think of a couple things. We, we tend to think of being haughty. Sometimes we think of hiding when we think of holiness. So we think of haughty and we think of those phrases like holier than thou, like somebody's just really self-righteous, somebody's a big rule follower, somebody's very religious, and, and we think of somebody being holy, we really think of them being haughty, and we don't think of love at all, do we? Sometimes we think of hiding. When it comes to holiness, we think of hiding, we think of isolating, we think of Christian movies, Christian t-shirts, Christian phrases and vernacular, and we just think we got to get as far away from evil as possible and we think of hiding. But you need to know, as we look at the Bible, it couldn't be further from the truth. That when we see in Scripture, we see it in this text, that holiness leads to love. That holiness works itself out in relationship. And the primary way it does that is love. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 13. He's preparing his disciples in the latter days before the cross. He's giving some of his final instructions, and he says this, John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's Jesus. Galatians 5, 14, you see Paul saying basically the same thing. He said, for the whole law. So for the whole law, the Old Testament, the commands, the Ten Commandments, you've heard of those. The whole law, righteousness, morality, everything we see in the law is fulfilled in one word, Paul says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That holiness leads to love. And listen, if it doesn't, in your life or in the lives of others you see, you need to know there's a distortion somewhere. If holiness, if obedience to God doesn't lead to love, you need to know that somewhere along the way there's a distortion there. That as you begin to see a, a haughty lifestyle, a hiding lifestyle, that that's not holiness according to God's word. That it leads to love. Peter's going to talk about what that looks like to love like this out of our holiness, out of our obedience. But I think for most of us, when we think of Love. We, we tend to think we're pretty loving, and, and I think most of us guys, you can relate to this, we tend to think of extreme scenarios, don't we? Like, we tend to think of our Braveheart scene when we think of love. Like, that we're going to, one day we're going to go out on the battlefield and we're going to fight to the death for the sake of love. 
And then we're going to come back to our spouse and we're going to say something like this, like, I love you. Always have. And we, imi- we imagine that extreme scenario of love, like one day it's going to be like that. I would totally lay my life down in, in love and for the sake of love. And we think of these extreme scenarios. We think of other scenarios like taking out the trash. And we think, I don't know if that's one of my love languages. Like, I don't, is that in the Greek? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. I, I do this in my life. I... Um, Used to, I don't anymore, but I used to walk in my sleep. I used to sleepwalk. And which, by the way, if you're engaged or if you're newly married, that's some information you want to share with the other person. Because I didn't. And it went bad. Um, so you can just learn from me. I, my, I didn't tell my wife that I, I tend to sleepwalk sometimes and do crazy stuff. And so I start to do that early on in our marriage, and my wife would freak out. She would freak out. And so I would always think, I'd wake, I'd wake up, I'd still be asleep technically. And I would think legitimately somebody was in my house. Like somebody was trying to break in my house. And so I remember doing ninja jumps over the end of the bed railing, running into the living room, and thinking, I'm going to protect my family at all costs. Right? And then my wife would come in and be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, you don't understand. There was this thing, and I was trying to protect you guys, and I was like, I don't know what I was doing. (laughs) I would wake up, right? But I think most of us imagine those scenarios, like it's deeply ingrained within us. Like, man, if somebody was running out into a street, like I would dive in and, and move them out of the way of the car. We think of those extreme scenarios, like in that scenario, I would love. But in the daily stuff of life, we struggle to love, don't we? We struggle to love. And so Peter is going to give us some specifics of what it looks like to love. And he knows. That passage we just read in John chapter 13 where Jesus gives this command to love, Peter was there. If you're going to read just a few more verses than we read, you see that Peter says, listen, I'm not going to just love. I'm going to lay my life down. And Jesus responds, will you? Because before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he does. We think Peter writes this maybe 30 years after that. And at some point, it got worked in his heart, and it began to work out of his heart into his hands what it actually means to love. That, yes, it means laying your life down in an extreme scenario, but it also means in the daily stuff of life, the way you treat your spouse, the way you interact with your roommates, the way you interact with your friends, your neighbors, and your fellow believers, that we are to love one another. That that's what holiness produces. Peter tells us what it looks like. The second half of verse 22, look at that verse. Gives us three things, three descriptions of this love. First, he says it's sincere, it's brotherly, and then it's earnest that it's sincere, that it's authentic. We talk about that a lot around here, that we believe that love moves. It's the theme of our church, that love moves. When we realize that we're loved by God, that he came for us, that he died for us, that he rose for us, that love moved him that much, that it moves us. And that when we love one another, it's sincere, it's authentic. 
And so as fun as it is and as meaningful as it is to, to sing about love like we just did, to talk about love like you'll do in your community group, as meaningful as that is, we don't want it to stop with singing about it or talking about it. We want it to move out to our hands. We want to live it out. We want to have a sincere, authentic love. The second thing is a brotherly love, that we're part of a family, that you share more than a last name. You share the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you share his name. That has greater weight than your immediate family. That we have a, a familial love, a brotherly love. We see this in our church all the time. One example just recently, a guy in our church lost his job. And it was amazing to see the people in our church, other believers come around him in different ways. Some of them just spent time with him. Some of them made some connections and got him an interview. Some of them gave him money and just said, hey, we want to give you some money to get by during this tough time because he's part of the family. It's a brotherly love, and it's amazing to see that. The third type of love that we see in this passage is an earnest love, a committed love, a serious love. It's earnest. And this is rare in our culture, isn't it? You don't often see an earnest, committed love. We see it in the negative sense of divorce rates. We see broken friendships. We see in the business world, you try to climb the ladder, and we see all kinds of distrust, and we don't see a committed love. But listen, we see it in way more than just our culture. It hits home for us. We see it in the church. We see it in the church when we, when we treat church like a buffet. And we don't commit, and we just think, it's like a buffet. I'm going to take some of this. I'm going to get some of this because I like that. I'm going to like this teacher, like this teacher over here, like this program over here. But these guys have this program over here. And we kind of hop around, and we know nothing of this earnest, committed love that Peter is talking about. Listen, if you've done that before, if you're doing that now, we're, we're so glad you're here. We want you to commit so you can experience this type of earnest love. That if you don't, eventually you're going to be like homeless kids wandering the streets. That it's so sad when you see that. These homeless kids, they wander the streets and they just go from place to place and they never have a family. And because they never have a family, they never get poured into. They never get built up. They never mature. Do you see that? That when we treat church, when we treat fellow believers like that, this artificial love, this surface level love, that we end up like that. And Peter's calling us to way more than that. Here's what you're missing out on. If you don't commit in your love to one another, if you don't get serious about your love and are earnest about your love, here's what you're missing out on. Tim Keller, a pastor and author in New York, says it so well. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot be like being loved by God. This is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. This is only possible with an earnest, committed love. We only get to experience this liberating, this fortifying 
when we partner and commit together. Now, a disclaimer, some of you have been in abusive churches, you've been in heretical churches, you've been in churches where the leadership was ungodly, and you needed to get out of that church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a general sense in our culture, specifically in Phoenix, we know nothing of commitment, and we miss out on this liberating, fortifying love that comes with that. This isn't something I want from you. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, he's the pastor. You're, you're the pastor. Of course you're supposed to say this. This isn't something I want from you. This is something I want for you because I've been there. I was in a Bible study once, and I was talking with some guys about just these relationships I was kind of hopping in and out of and using for what I could get from them for a specific thing, using these relationships for what I could get and how I could get ahead and, and achieve things and experience success in life. And I just remember this godly older guy listened patiently to me, and he just said, Tim, you know what? It sounds like you're treating relationships like a contract instead of a covenant. Like you're treating relationships like a, a contract instead of a covenant. I may have shared that with you before. It was very impactful in my life. To be honest, I didn't like it at, at first. It stung at first. But once I began to realize the implications of that, that we have a covenantal love because we have a covenantal God, that we can love one another unconditionally and committed and brotherly and sincerely because that's exactly how God has loved us, and that was so freeing in my life. At first it stung, but in the end of the, at the end of the day it was freeing, and it still is. That I don't have to put up some sort of pretense. That I don't have to prove myself. We don't have to put clauses in a contract where you fulfill your end of the bargain, where I fulfill my end of the bargain. And as long as that works out okay, we can be friends and we can love one another. And that is such an artificial surface level of love and we miss out on this liberating, fortifying love that Peter is call, calling us to. And so if that's you, if you struggle with that kind of commitment, I would encourage you to wrestle with that today. To wrestle with why. What is it about you that you're afraid somebody will see? What is it about somebody else that you're afraid to challenge? That you're afraid to confront, that, that causes you, when things get hard or when things don't go your way, you say, I'm gonna hop out and go somewhere else. What is that in your heart? Because I guarantee you that's something in your heart. Peter acknowledges that. He talks about it comes out of a pure heart. And that I don't know about you, when I find myself not loving others as I should, not experiencing this kind of love, most often there's something wrong in my heart. There's some bitterness I'm holding on to. There's some insecurity in my life. Have you experienced that? You need to wrestle with it so we can experience this beautiful, amazing love that Peter calls us to. Some of you, this is beginning to grab you. You're thinking, this is what it's about. Yes, it is a sincere love. It's a brotherly love. It's an earnest love. Like, we need to commit to this thing. And you're thinking, I hope everybody else is taking notes because they need to love me like this. You start to nudge your spouse to your friend. You just put a pen out right now. It's like, if you want to take notes, I'm going to just set this right here. Do with it what you will. We start thinking about our community group this week, and we're like, this is actually fantastic because I've been thinking about how you guys need to love me better. So in your community group this week, you're going to be like, you know, 
It's a good thing Pastor Tim said something, because if not, I was going to have to. Um, listen, don't do that, first of all. Don't do that. Um, you want to know how you can experience this kind of love that Peter is describing? This sincere, this brotherly, this earnest, committed love? You want to know how you can experience that to the full? You begin to love like this. You begin to love like this. You don't wait for other people to love you like this. You begin to love like this. Who do you think Peter's talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. That we need to lead the way in this type of love. I mean, just, just ponder with me for a second. What would happen if we did? I don't know how many people are in this room right now, but what would happen if everyone in this room if we decided that we're going to initiate love like this, we're not going to wait for it to come to us. We're going to initiate, we're going to lead the way in this type of love, that it is going to move us out. If you got a connect card when you walked in, I hope you did. There's a section on there where we talk about what it means that love moves that it moves us in our devotion to God first. That's when we come to church. That's when we read scripture. That's when we pray. It moves us to be devoted to God, but it also moves us out in our declaration and in our demonstration. What would happen if we caught hold of that as a church family? What kind of impact would that make on us? And then what kind of impact would that make outside of us, in our relationships of people who don't know Jesus, your brother-in-law who doesn't know Jesus, your father who's been away from the church and estranged from the church, your coworker who, who isn't uh, familiar with Jesus, what would that do to those relationships if you led the way in love like this? What would that do to our partnerships in this community? Hope Women's Center, Verde Park, after school program, what would it do if we as a body began to lead the way in love like this? What kind of impact would that make in our city? Listen, I'm not going to get into it today, but there's some crazy things going on in our city. And what our city needs is not a protest. They don't need a sign. They need love. They need a, a vigorous, passionate, committed love. That that's what's going to change the city of Phoenix. And listen, that's what's going to change your heart. Respond to this. Don't wait for somebody else to come to you. How are we able to love like this? We have an abiding truth. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You look at that verse, you see that phrase, born again. We talked about this in the second week of the series, that we're born again into a living hope. What Peter is reminding us is that you can't experience love like this. You can't love like this. You can't lead the way in love like this through religion or through rules, but only through rebirth. That it's only through being born again into Jesus Christ, into this salvation, into this living hope, that we can love like this. It's our identity in Christ. That's the only way it happens, that without Jesus, the best we can do with our career, with our accomplishments, with our job, with our money, the best we can do is like grass, like flowers, 
They bloom for a little while. They can be beautiful. They can be glorious. But eventually they'll fade. Eventually they'll fall. That that's the best we can do without Jesus. And he says that only the word of the Lord is forever. Only the word of the Lord is forever. Maybe you're new to church and you're skeptical of the Bible. Maybe you're not new to church, but if you're honest, you don't read your Bible a lot. Maybe you're kind of casual with it. You think, well, I have one on my phone. I have multiple copies at my house. Maybe you're casual with the Bible. Maybe you're skeptical of the Bible. Listen, you need to see what Peter is saying is that only the words of God last forever. That this book that we have, 66 books, 40 plus authors, over 1,500 years, that it's still transforming lives. That it's still the best-selling book of all time. I read this week that 5 billion copies have been printed since, I believe, 1815. 5 billion copies of the Bible. No other book can claim that. Mythological gods that we used to read about long ago in history that people thought were real and this was actually fact, we now call them myth. The Bible, people are still gathering around the world, around the Bible, to see Jesus through it, to see the living and abiding word. It still pierces hearts today. Have you ever read that verse where you think, God, are you talking to me? Did you write this for me? He did, but he also wrote it for a few other billion people throughout history. This is the word of God. It stands forever, that everything else fades. You see it in history. You see rulers come and go. In Peter's day, you see it. That an evil ruler, a cruel ruler named Nero, who was leading the Roman Empire, And these people are dispersed in different places that Peter is writing to because of him. Because of the persecution they received from this evil ruler, Nero. And you have this Roman Empire that's taken over. How's that working out today? How's the Roman Empire doing today? It's a city. It's not an empire. It's a great city, but it's a city. Hitler, he's bringing in the New World Order. Didn't happen. He's gone. Napoleon, he was going to take over the world. Didn't last. Presidents in our day, they promise a lot. They deliver little. We're going to have a new president soon. He's going to undo everything the old president did. And then after he does that, another president's going to come in, and he's going to undo everything he did. Do you see it? that everyone, that everything will fade, but not the word of God, not the word of the Lord, that it stands forever. If we really believe that, we need to read it. We need to study it. It says it's living and abiding. It's living and abiding. And so listen, if you're not a Christian and you're skeptical of the Bible, how do we know it's the same words, all those things, Have you read it? Have you read it for yourself? You need to read it. It's still the best-selling book of all time. 
something's going on there. You need to owe it to yourself to, to read the Bible. If you are a Christian and you've treated your Bible flippantly, you need to know that throughout church history that people risked or gave their life so you could have these words on a page. That we need to go to Scripture and load our minds with thoughts of it. To load our minds with truth of it. To listen to it. You got that covered right now? Check that one off. You're doing it. But you need to go home and you need to read it. We need to meditate on it. If we believe that the word of the Lord stands forever, it's living and abiding. I think oftentimes what we do is the distractions of life, the sin, the sickness, the strife, it gets in the way. And we end up chasing not the living and abiding word of God, but instead the dead and fleeting. We trade the living and abiding for the dead and the fleeting. We do it in people we idolize. We do it in possessions we treasure, performance we covet, perception we crave. And listen, all those things, like flowers, like grass, will wither, they'll fade, but the word of God will not. Do you see it? We need to load our minds with thoughts of God. We need to dig into his word like we're desperate for it. Obedience for the Christian is marked by sincere love, abiding truth, and the third thing is active growth. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you look at that text, you see a couple phrases put away, long for, grow up. They're all involving action. Do you see that? They're all involving action that Peter says to put away. In the original language, it's literally like disrobing. It's like taking off your clothes so you can put on new ones. And he gives us some things to, to take off, to put away. He lists them off. I want to just briefly go through them with you. The first one is malice. Malice is an anger. It's a wrath toward people. And listen, we all have people that kind of irritate us, annoy us. What it's talking about with malice is those people that have hurt you to your core. Maybe for some of you that's a father. Maybe it's another family member. Maybe it's your spouse. And they've attacked you to your core. And you have an anger, a wrath towards them. And maybe you don't voice it. and Maybe you don't act on it. But it's in your heart. And Peter's saying, put that away. Take that off. Get rid of that. And some of you push back and say, well, Tim, you don't realize how bad they hurt me. And I would say I don't. But I know that I've been hurt, and I know everybody in this room has been hurt, and that it's easy to go towards anger and wrath towards somebody else. But at some point, you have to get to a point where you trust God's justice over your vengeance. That in my life, as people have hurt me along the way, that at some point, I'm working towards this, I want to get to a point where I trust God's justice over my vengeance. That God is perfect. That God knows everything. That God is loving. That God is a God of justice. He's going to take care of it. He's going to reconcile it. So I don't know what you may be holding on to that's causing you to go to anger, to wrath towards someone else. You need to trust God and his vengeance more, or his justice more than your 
vengeance. Some of you are thinking, but I just wish some people weren't in my life. <laughs> but some people really annoy me. I just wish they were gone. If you're honest, you might say that. Listen, you need to know that God has put them there for a purpose so that you can actually live out this pure love that he speaks of. That those people in your life that get in the way that are a burden to you, could, that, could it be that God is trying to teach you how to love like he has loved you? Because all the time we stray from God, we do things that frustrate the will of God, the holiness of God, we sin, we go to other things instead of him, the fleeting things, but he still pursues us, he still loves us because it's a pure love. Could it be that he's trying to teach you how to love like that, put away malice, put away all deceit, that we lie, that we won't want desperately people to think a certain thing about us, and so we, we deceive. Peter says, put that away. Hypocrisy, where we put on a show, we have different masks for different areas and different groups of our life, so much so that we're not even really sure who we are anymore. We're just running around, putting on different faces, putting on a show and performance. Peter says, put that away. Envy, that we're not satisfied with what we have. We're always longing for what someone else has. This is the opposite of contentment. Some of you get this when you scroll through your Facebook news feed. Why does that guy get to go on vacation? Well, they got a nice car. Like, that's good for them. Yeah, it's great. Peter says, put that away. Slander. We are in a political campaign right now. See a little bit of slander. Just leave that there. In summary, there's a lot of things there that we should put away. In summary, here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, let go of any speech, deceit, or slander, desires, malice, or envy, actions, hypocrisy that aren't loving, that where love brings together, all of these things divide. But it's interesting, what you see in Scripture is that everything is relational. All these commands he just gave us, they're not in a vacuum, they're relational. Slander, envy, malice, they're all relational. It's not just these, the whole of Scripture. Did you know that there are 59 one-anothers in the New Testament? 59 one-anothers, how we relate to one another. That it all works itself out in relationship, that holiness leads to love. That knowledge leads to a mutual edification of one another. That Christian growth always happens in relationship with God and with others. It's all about relationship. And that means that these sins, these things we're supposed to put away, none of them are isolated. That they always hurt someone. They always hurt family. They always hurt friends. They always hurt people. Because all of this is relational. Listen, what if we took this seriously? What if we began to take action in these areas of our lives? So many times we come to church, we hear some great truths, we hear some amazing worship, we're, we're inspired, and then we leave and we don't do anything about it. We experience some conviction, we think maybe it's just heartburn, maybe it'll go away, and maybe somehow by osmosis, because I was at church, I will change and my life will change. But nothing else in life works that way, does it? I've shared this story before, but at the old gym I used to go to, there was a guy that would always be in the locker room. Always be in the locker room. He loved watching 
Sports Center on the TV, and if it wasn't on, he would ask them to change it. He would chat everybody up in the locker room, and he loves sports, he loves gambling. <laughs> and so he would always talk about, like, uh, the Super Bowl's coming up. Who, had it, who is it? Denver and Carolina. Denver, Carolina, who you got? He just chats people up. Um, Arizona, Arizona State, who you got? Right? And every time I would get there, he was in the locker room. And when I would leave, he was still in the locker room. And maybe he worked out some other time. I never saw it. But he would come and he would sit in the locker room. Listen, it would be like if you were talking to me and, and I, I do go to the gym and you were to say, well, well what do you like to do? Well, well, I just sit in the locker room. I, I, I chat people up. I've made some good friends. But I'm getting really healthy. Well, surely you go to the swimming pool, you at least do some laps. No, don't do that. Well, surely you at least you hit some free weights, some squats, power cleans. No, that sounds awful. No, don't, don't do that. Surely you at least hit the machine weights and kind of do some curls. Nope, don't do that. How, how do you expect to get physically fit then? How do you expect to get healthy then? If you don't do anything, listen, I don't work out a lot, but I know you have to at least hit the gym floor to make progress. You have to at least pick up a weight to make progress. Our spiritual lives is the same thing. Peter is calling us to action. He's calling you to action. He's saying, put these things away. Don't just listen to it, feel convicted by it, and leave away not changed. Take these patterns in your life and put them away. We get that in every aspect of our lives, in our health, in our finances. But so often we miss it with our relationship with God. Put it away. Take action before you leave today. Listen, coming to church is extremely important. But if you come and you sit and you observe, but you never step out in the game and you never take action, you're going to leave and nothing is going to change. It's an hour a week. What Peter is calling us to is to put away. We see it in other places in Scripture, like in the book of James. It says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Philippians, work out your salvation. And we talk about this all the time. If you've been coming here, you know this. By grace, we're saved. Right? It's all grace. But that grace empowers us to live lives for Jesus, to take action, that it's not about earning, but it is about expressing the hope you've been given to Jesus. That we need to take action. I would encourage you, as awkward as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, to look at some of these things that you need to put away and to begin to think through right now how you can actually do that. Maybe you need to quit checking Facebook if that causes you to be envious of everyone you know. Maybe you need to go in a relationship and change that relationship and apologize, receive forgiveness, offer forgiveness. If every time you think about that person, you think of wrath. <laughs> Maybe you need to take some action. You would take a second, you would think about that, you'd write it down, you would do it this week so that we can see this kind of love, this holiness that Peter is calling us to. And that ultimately that we would replace all of those things that we would take off we would put on the word of God. He says it in verse 2. 
He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have kids, you know that babies love milk. Right? In the beginning of your life, that's all they have. We have an eight-month-old baby, and she wants milk. That's all she has. And we had our first kid. This is our third. We had our first kid. We asked the doctor, like, should we give her some water? Like, what if she's thirsty? Milk's kind of pasty. And the doctor's like, she gets everything she needs in milk. That's all she needs. It nourishes her. It provides for her. It gives her joy. In the middle of the night when she's crying, you know what we do? We give her some milk. It brings joy. It brings life. It brings nourishment. And what Peter is saying is that we should crave the word of God like that. We should crave the good news of Jesus like that. And in verse 3, he qualifies the first part of verse 2 by quoting Psalm 34. He says, you're going to long for pure spiritual milk, this good news of Jesus, this word of God, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. What's the connection there? That if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, what we read in Scripture, these are his words. If you've tasted him, you're going to want to go back to him through his word as you listen, as you read it, as you meditate on it. My son Ashwin is three years old, and we go to this grocery store where he gets a free cookie. It's the most amazing thing ever. He gets a free cookie. We did that this week, and we told him, Ashwin, you have to wait till you eat your dinner to eat that cookie. And he said, well, Daddy, can I at least hold it? (laughs) And I said, yes, you may hold it. And so he's holding this glorious, beautiful cookie And he's looking at it. He unwraps the cookie. He begins to hold the cookie closer to his face. (laughs) He smells the cookie, and I kid you not, he literally began to open up his mouth. It was like a reflex. Like you could tell he was not, he didn't want to disobey mommy and daddy, but it was like a reflex. Like he was holding this cookie, he was looking at it, he began to smell it, and he began to open his mouth to take a bite, and we said, Ashwin, we said no until after dinner, and you could tell he was in a trance. He had to go put the cookie away, but listen, after we ate dinner, he grabbed that cookie, and he ate a bite of it. What do you think he did after that? He devoured that cookie. Never seen a kid eat a cookie so fast, and not just that cookie. He wants to go back to that store every day to get more of those cookies. Listen, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you know Jesus Christ, that just from this text in 1 Peter, just from this book, that he has paid for your sin, that he is your ransom, that he's bought you out of slavery into his righteousness so you can live a holy life, that you have an inheritance in Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ that is unfading, that is imperishable, that is kept in heaven for you, if you know that Jesus, that you are fully known and fully loved by Jesus, if you've tasted that, if you've experienced that, that you can't get enough, that you begin to crave the words of Jesus, the words of God, like babies crave milk that it brings you life, it brings you 
joy, it brings you nourishment, it brings you everything you need. If you've tasted, if you've seen, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? It's our first question as we talk about how to live this out and live what we learn. I want you just to ask that question. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? The vertical always affects the horizontal. Peter's calling us to love, to put away some things. Maybe you feel like that's a daunting task. You won't be able to do it unless you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So if you're here this morning, have you met Jesus? Maybe you grew up going to church. Maybe you did all the right things. But have you actually tasted and seen? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in his life, death, and resurrection for you? If you haven't, it starts there. If you have, we always got to go back there like a baby who craves milk every day, not just an hour on Sunday. We have to go back there. We have to load our minds with thoughts of God, saturate our hearts with his truth, this word of God that stands forever. We have to go back to it desperately. Have you tasted and seen? The second thing is, what is one way you can step out and love someone? What's one way you can put this into action? What's someone in your life? Who is someone in your life? It could be your spouse. It could be your roommate. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. It could be your neighbor that you've been meaning to talk to. What's one way you can step out, you can initiate, you can lead the way in loving someone else with a sincere, brotherly, and earnest, committed love? And then finally, what is one way you can put away unloving behavior Some of you have some bitterness in your heart, and you need to, before the day is up, you need to go to somebody else, and you need to offer forgiveness, or you need to accept forgiveness. And you need to take that action step today. Listen, maybe you don't take all these today. Pick one. Pick one and start today because we've tasted and seen, because we know Jesus, because he has loved us like this. We can love others like this. Do you see that? What if you took a step? What would God do with us? What would God do beyond us if we live this way? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for this morning and just thank you for these few moments where we can look at your word that stands forever. God, that we would not take this time lightly. We would not take it for granted. What a a beautiful thing that we get to gather together as men and women, as families, as college students, as singles. We get to gather together from all kinds of backgrounds, preferences, and personalities. And we get to look at your word. God, I I thank you for this time. I pray that it would be piercing in our heart. I pray that it would be active in our heads that would lead out to our hands before we leave today, that we would begin to write out action steps for us. We wouldn't think about everybody else in this room and what they're thinking about and what they're going to do and how they really need to hear this. We would think about us. And we would begin to respond that when we see obedience in Scripture and holiness in Scripture, that it's marked by love, an abiding truth. God, that we would see that. 
and that we would respond to it today. I, I pray that for these men and women, and I pray that you would change us. We desperately need your help, and so we ask for it now. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.